so much of trading is doing jujitsu on the market. If I can take your energy and use it against you, mm-hmm. <laughs> but multiply that by a hundred thousand people, I'm going to make a lot of money just by being in the right place at the right time, being an opportunist wow. and then staying out of the way and letting the market do the work. You're listening to the Steady Trade Podcast, a podcast that inspires traders to make meaningful strides and pursue their passions. Your hosts are Tim Bowen, the lead trainer at Stocks to Trade Pro, Kim Ann Curtin, the Wall Street coach, and Steven Johnson, the up-and-coming trader who's always willing to learn. Together, we'll sit down with experts to talk about their process, the lessons they've learned, and discuss how all traders can level up their trading careers. Aloha, everyone. Welcome back to the Steady Trade Podcast. I'm Kim Ann Curtin, one of the co-hosts of the podcast, and I'm here today to just give an introduction to this episode, which features Mike Martin and his book, The Inner Voice of Trading. Uh, here's a picture of it here on my Kindle. Uh, Mike Martin and I go way back. We met about six years ago when I was writing my book, Transforming Wall Street. He's actually featured in my book as one of the men and women uh, that I call the Wall Street 50. Uh, he was mentored by Ed Sakota, and uh, his stories in this book uh, are all about the emotional side of trading and the spiritual intelligence and the emotional intelligence of trading. One of the quotes from the book, to give you a little teaser, is knowing yourself is more important than what you know. And I think you guys know as a coach, that's what I uh, am an advocate of, is getting better to know yourself and your emotional uh, intelligence and increase that as much as you can. So I hope you enjoy this episode. It's a real good one. Uh, and he had just come off the heels of a conversation yesterday with Ed Sakota and in the middle of this crazy market. Uh, I think you guys will get a lot of value out of it. Today's March 18th when we recorded it, just so you have some context. And because this is uh, the book club series, I just want to give everybody who's following along a heads up that our next book club series, which is going to be recorded in a couple of weeks, is going to feature the book, The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand. That's Tim Bowen's pick. It's a novel, but it's a big book. It's a book that's uh, over nine, about 800, 900 pages. So I'm just giving you a heads up. Don't forget to start to read that so you can follow along with this book club series. And also, friendly reminder, sign up and subscribe to the Stocks to Trade channel for the Steady Trade podcast, which is where we're dropping them all now. And be safe out there. Okay. Aloha for now, everyone. Oh, everyone calls me by – it's a New York thing. People call you by your last name. I got a funny story around that too. But um, Well, and you got you, – you tricked me because you got the two first names. I know. I know. It happens all the time, all the time. But it's so, it's so, I, I just, it's, what happened what in New York? What happened in New York? So, the name? Uh, so one of my best buddies was my left winger on the hockey team, Kevin Lynch, met him in fourth grade. He was from Massabeth, Queens originally. We started playing hockey. So by the time we get to sixth or seventh grade, we're inseparable. I go over his house, his mom, sweet woman, Geraldine, you know, he's calling me Martin. I'm calling him Lynch. And it doesn't, connect with her that she's calling me by my last name. So after three years, she's like, Martin, what's your last name? And I go, it's Martin. She says, your parents named you Martin Martin? <laughs> no, you jackass. You've been calling me by my last name for three years. You know, Which that's, that's kind of the standard thing on sports teams. Everybody kind of, it's for whatever it's the reason. culture too. It's yeah. the New York culture. It's, it's like men and women. I'd be like, yo, what's up, Curtin? Yeah, yeah exactly. And, so and she would roll with it and be like, ah, oh, he's one of us kind of a deal. But <laughs> hey, I wanted to thank you while I'm being recorded for having me on the show. I mean, you know, there's only about a million people that you could have asked on the show, certainly maybe half a million authors who have decent books that I'm even a fan of. And anytime someone calls me up or shoots me a note and says, we'd love to have you on the show to be interviewed. I go back to my roots of being a a golf caddy and having my own lawn care business and say, the world is amazing. The world is abundant. So I just want to thank you and Kim for reaching out and uh, including me in this because it's a great honor. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because, you know, like you like you mentioned, being a caddy and an entrepreneur, it's like, you know, and, and, and thank you for thanking us. But it's like, you know, it's like I, I'm the same way. Any opportunity, you just never know. You never know where it could end up. I mean, exactly. here I am. I'm on this podcast that reaches, you know, hundreds of thousands of people a month because I was doing YouTube videos eight years ago. And right. 
company said, Hey, you want to do a podcast? It's like, you just, you, and, and, right. and I feel like when you say no to things, it's like, man, it's that, what, what could have it, what could have it ended up being, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally true. 100%. Agree totally 100%. True. Well, your book is one of my favorites. I haven't read them all, but obviously yours, I love yours. And I, I loved it again all in the last couple of weeks when I reread it. Mike. So thank you. I'm Kim. just psyched to have you here. It's such a, it's, it speaks to everything that I do as a coach. So it's like, you know, someone doesn't understand why coaching would be valuable. All I have to do is say, you know what, read Mike Martin's book and I don't have to sell you on anything. You know? So, you know, the book was deliberate in that there's no gloating that, you know, I've made small fortunes during that period of time because the book was written and published, uh, published around September of 2011. And I had had plenty of wins, some of which I use as case studies to teach. But I figured, man, there's so many books that are gloating about their wins. And if you had just done this and you had just done that, and I'm like, you know what? The one thing that I have in common with uh, Paul Jones and Peter Borish and Saliba, Ed Sakota, Mike Marcus, Bruce Kovner is that we've all lost money. And so to sit and gloat about the big wins, I don't think it served the community at all. And, you know, you know this as a coach and, and you both know this as, as coaches and trainers that we have paradigms that we run in our background. Some of the times we're conscious of it. Sometimes we're unconscious of it. And it really comes down to emotional intelligence. It's not about the knowledge, right? You can, I've seen your instructional videos. They're amazing. But if it was about the knowledge, okay, my dead grandmother would have an account with, with sink or swim or whatever anymore and be shorting and doing the business that you, that you advocate. And I would support her in that if that fits her temperament, right? So when I wrote the book, I was like, I'm just going to share with people how I thought I knew what I knew at the time, but I did nothing but lose money for reasons that I couldn't have predicted. And that's the human experience. And with that, you need to invoke persistence and determination. If you don't have that, you're not going to win at anything in life. Forget trading. If you take everything personally, and if you're invested in your intelligence and your self-esteem because you're the smartest person in your family, you're going to take it in the back pocket and you didn't, that's going to happen a lot. So true. So true. So yeah. True. That, that's a, you know, um, I, I, I've just, I'm about halfway through the book. I have to admit that I, you know, I started it a week ago and then, then we, we managed to sojourn into the apocalypse. So, um, <laughs> so, so as much as I, I'm an avid reader and I'm loving the book and I didn't want to come on and have an excuse. It has been kind of a, an interesting week and talk about emotions and, and, and wild moves. I mean, I, I, I traded blue apron, um, yesterday and today. Yeah. I, I bought it at seven, sold it at nine. And last I saw it's at like 17 right now. So it's, it's been a, it's been a wild week. That's for sure. And an emotion filled week, no doubt. So yeah. 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 I mean, it certainly has. I mean, these are, um, I myself am a long-term trend follower. So I've been knocked out of the, the markets, mostly on the volatility gauges that we use when the vol expands. I mean, we're trading, five or six times vol on the e-mini, which isn't something that I normally trade, but it's certainly something that I watch. And when that happens, my ability to express an edge goes to zero, right? And I've done enough back testing. I did it first by hand on Lotus 1, 2, 3 back in the day before even Excel was there. And then various trading engines that I've used to simulate on a portfolio level. And despite what I know, and I'm a really intuitive guy, and I know commodities like the back of my hand, I cannot express an edge when the volatilities expand to the extent that they have. So the best thing that I can do is to say, interesting markets, but I'm going to go play some poker or go do jujitsu or going to go do something and make ample use of my time because trying to impose my will onto the marketplace is a fool's game. In my humble opinion. Yeah, and I, and I, I agree. And especially it's like, you know, you talk about unique times. I mean, it's like every day we're threatening to halt. I mean, how, how can you, how can you trade the E-mini when, when it might halt? And then, you know, who knows what's going to be said in the press conference and then it's limit up, it's limit down. I mean, you know, the, yeah. now the one thing I will say, and we talked about that a little bit beforehand, the nice thing about penny stocks and, and many of the listeners are low price stock traders because they got small accounts. The nice thing is, Penny stocks are custom made for irrationality. You know, it's like, it's like, that's where, that's where sure. every, that's where everyone goes when they, when the madness comes. Yeah. And, and if you're, if you're, you know, if it's a, if you're taking the other side of the pump and dump, 
Yeah. I think it's it's great. I mean, because you're exactly right. You really give people a good education on market psychology. And for the guys that I work with, you know, who are a who's who in terms of being market wizards, we very rarely talk about individual names like look at the collapse, the ten dollar move in crude or this and that. We're always talking about human behavior. Sure. Because so much of trading is exact and you know this given your ethos. So much of trading is doing jujitsu on the market. If I can take your energy and use it against you, mm-hmm. <laughs> but multiply that by a hundred thousand people, I'm going to make a lot of money just by being in the right place at the right time, being an opportunist wow. and then staying out of the way and letting the market do the work. I think the difference, the one difference between us is that I might be willing to take the risk home with me overnight, realizing that there's no, there's no model on planet earth. I don't care if you're buying and selling blueberries. I don't care if you make, um, high OPR 40 mics, like I'm speaking on here. There's no place on planet earth where you're going to get paid 50 times your money for taking zero risk, right? right? Those two things kind of go in lockstep. Sometimes it's linear. Sometimes it's geometric, but at the end of the day, you have to take risk. I happen to be a guy who's willing to position size down to a spot where I can take the risk home overnight over the weekend. Now, again, I'm not doing it now because the volatility measures have knocked me out of the market, which is okay. Sometimes you tap out, but it's too easy to lose money in good times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, and I think that's yeah. a great point. And, and, you know, and, and again, I'm coming from a, you know, 15 year, mostly low price stock trader. And I mean, listen, the, the, to the listener out there, I mean, a lot of the times penny stocks get, they, they dry up. There's just no movement at all. Yeah. And, and I think that's a great lesson when your market isn't moving, be yeah. willing to do other things, be willing to go to jujitsu class or read a book yeah. or whatever. Cause man, you'll just get chopped to oblivion. And, and if you're out there with a $2,000 account and your and, and your market isn't working, I mean, you're, you're doomed. You're just going to grind your account. And all of a sudden you got 150 bucks left. You know, it's okay for traders to be diversified as well. You know, it's it's one thing to trade a style and to know it. A lot of my clients are family offices and they run part of the money, but then they farm out the risk to other people. And, you know, it's always a great smack to the head in their paradigm when they have to give up control to another manager to create the alpha. But at the same time, they understand that, you know, one and one equals three. So you can either endeavor to try a different trading style or even a different asset class. I mean, now is probably not the time to experiment, Um, (laughs) but I experiment a lot with stuff just because that's how you express your creativity. And sometimes, you know, your brain's working in the background in your subconscious and sometimes ideas will pop in your head. So you're like, hmm, how do I express the risk in my portfolio? So, you know, this morning I was on the phone with Zurich with a client and then in Madrid and, you know, we were talking about gold and, you know, the so gold's trading, you know, if you look at the front month, it's trading at 44 ATR. So you're looking at four, almost $5,000 just in vol with no particular direction. Granted, it's going down. So when you look at risking your capital that way, or even in the E-mini with it almost at like 135, so that's about $6,600 in just daily vol, and you're risking one half of 1%, you're looking at an E-mini trader that would need to have $12 million in cash to trade one contract of the E-mini at current vol levels. Now, do you think the E-mini traders at home are, are doing that? <laughs> no, they're trying to be smart opportunity during the day. Maybe for a handful of them there are, but that's not the game that I'm playing. And um, so you look to experiment with things. How do you express the risk in the portfolio? Like you said, markets are limit up, limit down. I wrote about being stuck uh, long cattle and it was limit down against me for four or five days and I was getting smashed. <laughs> Lucky enough, I had my position sizes set in such a way that I was losing money, but it wasn't cataclysmic. It wasn't going to put me out of business. So you say, okay, do I trade the SBY against the ES? Do I look to do longer dated calls? Well, yes and no, but it's hard given the vol numbers have blown out option premia. So you try to be creative. Then you say, okay, well, can I create a spread? Can I go long one thing and short the other to cut the margin, also cut the ball so I can take it home at night and not get blasted in the face by a Mike Tyson right hook <laughs> in my capital, which, you know, I don't wish on anybody, but I think it's, it is important to experiment. And I think at the end of the day, 
as traders grow, it's okay to try things and fail because you learn a lot about yourself in the process, and that helps you draw boundaries around your own behavior. Hello, traders. My name is Matthew Monaco, and I'm the host of the new Steady Trade segment called TWIST, which stands for This Week in Steady Trade. In these episodes, I have on two guests usually, Jack Kellogg and Kyle Williams, and we break down what's happening this week. They go over their trades, they talk about their thought process, and we even discuss some possible trades for the remainder of the week. These episodes go live every Thursday, so if you're just a regular Steady Trade listener, make sure you check them out. Now, let's get back to the regular Steady Trade episode. Micah, in your book, uh, Inner Voice of Trading, I'm just going to say the title because we kind of just jumped right into the interview. Uh, this is Mike Martin. And what I'm curious about is you talk about the different losses that made you begin to look inward or begin to see that you should be self-aware. And one of the quotes I, I like the most in the book is how you trade, what you trade, and the frequency of the trades. Uh, you make all come down to who you are as a person, not what mm-hmm. you know about a specific financial instrument. So yep. just tell us like how, when did it hit you at, you know, you, you've been here for a long time in the markets. When do you think it really hit you? Was it, was it very early on? Was there like a knowing or was there these specific events that all lit it up? Yeah, that's a damn good question, Kim. I appreciate you asking it. I always had a strong inner game. Like I was, I was, I would probably be more introverted, even though my friends would say, Oh, you're so fun to be out with and you got a good sense of humor. That's true. But my nature is more to be, I don't want to say homebody, but I'm, I'm probably more of an introvert than an extrovert. I'm an extrovert when I have to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you look, if you can, delineate and trace a thread between some of those instances that I wrote about in the book, the realization didn't happen all at once. I remember feeling very bitter when the shaman pharmaceutical market makers cut the bid from six to three overnight when we were probably one of the only firms on the street who were making that stock. And I knew they stole the money right from the crowd. I mean, that's the whole ring, the market, the market makers were short. They were selling stock that they didn't have. So they were inherently short. And then they reset their bid to three. And then when everyone had to puke out their positions, they were covering and they absolutely stole the money from every investor. And so Jonathan Cohen was the um, the analyst on the stock who had done very, very well over the years before. And that's when I became cynical and realized that even people on my own team, like the backup quarterback on the Patriots right now is clicking his heels that Brady is gone. It's just the way the world works. It's not schadenfreude, but that's how opportunity happens, right? So I just realized at that point, because I was still at the wirehouse at that point, that I have to be self-sufficient. I cannot rely on anybody else for fundamental or technical research, and no one's holding a gun to my head to put any of these positions on, and I have to own that. And I have to own the responsibility that I have to figure out what are my entries, what are my exits, what's my style, what's my asset class, what's my portfolio heat, you know, that type of stuff. Process, there's a lot of stuff to have to figure out. And there's emotional barometers that you have to put on each one of those things, mm-hmm. right? You have the guy who's sitting at the desk right now and his legs going a thousand miles an hour because he's had 14 Diet Cokes by 830 in the morning because <laughs> he's sitting there trying to read the E-mini on a tick by tick basis. I would say, please stop. Because what you're doing isn't trading. You're, you're acting something out here, right? Yep. That, you know, and I'm not a psychologist. There's plenty of them around. I, my take is if you need a psychologist and you're a trader, stop trading. Get out of the business. <laughs> Find another endeavor. That's my humble opinion. But nonetheless, you know, politics makes for strange bedfellows. Um, getting lockdown limit in cattle hurt. Um, I can remember the Gulf War when Iraq tried to take over Kuwait. I think crude went from 24, 28 to 44 in about two trades, um, which teaches you not to be short so you can learn and observe things uh, and how the unexpected happens. But then, so, so I think to answer your question and finish up, you culture those pearls, Kim, over a longer period of time, especially how you lose money and how you process losing money. Because I, you know, I don't have a TV. I don't have a TV in my office. I don't have a TV at home. I cut the cord in 05, 06. And yes, I have some streaming services, most notably MLB.tv, so I can watch baseball basically around the clock all year round, <laughs> which is one of my passions. But wow, I don't have time to sit. Like someone's going to ask me about how I identify with the coach that's on Billions on Showtime. I've never yeah. seen the show, and I don't know yeah. the character. Yeah. 
She's and great. It's not like She's I awesome. Feel, yeah. <laughs> And more power to her, I, you know, I, but that's just not my paradigm. I figure, my yeah. goodness, with all the gifts that I've been given and the other businesses that I'm involved in, I don't have the luxury of sitting down and watching billions. Yeah. And that might sound puritanical. No, I don't But for so. how I chop up my day in my you know Phoenix planner, huh? You know who you are. You know what works for you and you have to, everybody has to know what that is for them. So, and I know what okay. I'm not, you know, I know yeah, what I'm not, totally, you know, that's, totally. that's a good part of dating too. You know what you're looking for, but then if you're not clear about what you're not looking for, you that's know, right. what's right. the saying? If you settle for less, you get less than you settled for. That, that's not me. That's not Absolutely. me. All right. Ed Sakota, tell us about him. I read about him for the first time when I read Jack Schwager's book, Market Wizards. Yeah. So when I picked up your book, you know, we were introduced, Mike, by, uh, wasn't it Eric who introduced us? Yeah. Shout out to Eric Greshner, another one of my Wall Street 50. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. He, he's the one who knew that you were somebody I needed to know about. And then when I saw your book and I saw Ed Sakota wrote the foreword, yeah. I was, you know, even more convinced. I mean, Eric's word was enough for me, but still, that was a bad follow-up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I hear his name and I tear up. He's a, a such <laughs> I spoke with him yesterday for about 90 minutes and we we're just talking about the markets and, you know, life wow. and stuff. We we very rarely talk about names or trading per se. We talk about the human condition and people's behavior. Wow. And this, again, this is my humble opinion. There's a million ways to trade. So I am not yeah. kind of pontificating here. But when you look at extraordinary popular delusions and the madness of crowds with books, you know, you look at human behavior and how people behave around risk, how people behave when the markets are frothy and ebullient. And then when they're, you know, markets are getting half, cut in half right now and you got Disney trading at 14 times earnings. You know, you say, okay, well, what's going to happen here? Is there going to be good news that comes out now in the next two weeks? No, it's going to be bad news. People are blindsided. They're uncertain. They don't like the uncertainty. So you think about the various levels of capitulation because it might not happen in one day, you know? Mm -hmm. And then there's the point where at the very end at 14,000 on the Dow, in the cash market, people can't take it anymore. They can't take the uncertainty of just when things are going to turn around. So they're like, you know what? To hell with stocks, I'm out. And that's the last seller, right? And smart money will, you know, look, Ray Dalio's down 25%. So, you know, and he's one of the smartest traders on the planet. So you can't beat yourself up. But what you can do, again, if you're coming to the market from a judo or a jujitsu standpoint, is study people's behavior more than chart patterns, and, and know what you're willing to risk on any one particular trade so that even if you're wrong, you're going to be okay. At this point right now, to answer your next question, I'm risking about $1,000 for every million under management. That's one-tenth of 1%. One That's a sissy boy risk level. <laughs> but I can be wrong 10 times in a row and have 99% of my capital. And guess what? I don't need to have a Guinness before I go to bed at night to fall asleep. I'm like, whatever, dude, markets come and go. Do whatever, and I not even, you know, you know, in, 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 you know, not even ingesting any 420. I'm, 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 it's just <laughs> you. You have to figure that all of that out. But you no, know, Ed's been, you know, one of the reasons I got more into coaching and helping people around personal goals, around you know, Proctor Gallagher or or Anthony Robbins, for example, and do more coaching around the way you do it, Kim. You know, it's because of the paradigm and how people perceive risk and, and the goals that they set. You know, when I said earlier that it's not just about the knowledge, you have to help people understand emotionally how they process winning and losing, how they process being right or how they process being wrong, right? You have to be in, you have to be in it to win it, to coin a phrase from the lottery. Um, but you, it's hard for smart people to be wrong. Smart people don't like being wrong. They're not used yeah. to it, especially if they're that. very well educated and they went to really good schools and paid super yeah. premium prices for their education it's not something that comes natural to them they're like well wait a minute i know about you give me the information i read the book i wrote the paper you gave me the information i went to a study yep. group i took my test and i got 90 percent plus gold star on the little thing it's on the refrigerator and it's hard for people to go to the markets and say man i did everything right and i right. still lost money how in the name of god almighty can that happen I that's think a that's lot, the of, lot of questions I'll, I'll get a lot of times like with the podcast is like really around that is like, 
listen, yeah. you know, you know, I did everything right. You know, I did my research. The, mm-hmm. the volume was there. The news was there. You know, every, the market was going my way and I still yeah. lost. Yeah. And they're like, what did I do wrong? I'm like, you didn't do anything wrong. It was, 100%. You, know, you, you, yeah. you, you checked all the boxes totally. and sometimes totally. it just doesn't work. Yeah. Totally. But then when they can't handle that emotionally and they're like, but, and but they you're want the solution to get, they're like, yeah, you're like, fix what's it. The and I'm like, there is fix no it. fix. Yeah. There is no, but they're like, what? And it's like, <laughs> yeah. this is called life. Like it's because you won a trophy for third prize for your whole high school, you know, experience that you don't realize sometimes things are just not the way you want them to be. You don't get trophies for participating. No one cares. No one cares. <laughs> no one cares. So, no I mean, cares. and that's one of the reasons why I don't pontificate things like through stock twits or other channels. It's because I'm humble enough to know that pride's a big banana peel to quote Ed. And it's like, <laughs> all I can do is be awesome. in the trades that I should be in. And then the universe is going to, you know, my, my, if you want to ask me, what is my ethos? It's that I'm willing to do the research on the front end to kind of have a game plan. But then once I put the risk on, I think of like being long or short sugar, for example, as like a, as a, as a, um, a little subsidiary of Michael Martin Incorporated. And I don't want to open that business and close it on the same day. That just doesn't compute with me. It probably makes a lot of sense for people who are like, Hey man, you can't take risk home over the night. Market could fall through the, fall through the floor. And it's like, well, it could. But if you position size it correctly, then you should be able to withstand that. Now, granted, if you have 2000 bucks in your account, I've been there, it's harder to do. And it's certainly a lot scarier. But what I found in the test that I've actually done taking cash market data is that you actually get paid a hefty premium for taking that home overnight. So Mm -hmm. you don't like the risk Buy one share of Amazon. You know, it's not about don't you're not optimizing position size, right? So that's the you know, if you ask me what are some of the mistakes people make, don't optimize position size. If everything that you buy and sell has a zero at the end, you're doing it wrong. All right. So um, what is your advice? What is your advice to beginner traders, to to people who are doing penny stocks? What would you say are like the top three things they need to know? Right. So if you're a digital marketer. And you start to spend money, right? So our courses are like 2,500. Digital marketing ethos would say that I have to spend up to 7,500 or three times the actual revenue on the event to make my first sale. And that's a great analogy for the market. You're not, the idea in, in the paid media is to get the data. So when you're trading your initial grub stake, you have to say that, make it up in your mind emotionally that you're going to lose all that money. You're going to lose all that money. And don't be emotionally attached to 2K because if you're thinking of growing your account to 20 million, who cares about the 2,000? It's it's data, it's ammunition in the video game of it all for you to figure out what makes you you in the marketplace because we're all as unique as our fingerprints, you know? And And so let go of the account balance as being, you know, a character trait. Trading big or small is a function of time, and it's a function of leverage in a lot of ways. So I would let God, I drop the rock. I would definitely drop the rock on my account is small. I can't take the risk. I have to watch things 24-7. If you put a stop order in to enter or exit a trade, the broker dealer that or FCM that you're dealing with or introducing broker is incented to fill that order for you. The market's going to go where it's going to go, whether you're watching it or not. That's why I don't have a TV. What am I going to get? from some talking head. Now I can say that after 30 years of experience, if I'm two years in the business, sure. You know, it was Dan Dorfman at the time, um, even before Kramer. Um, So that's the rule. The second one is be an independent thinker. There wasn't social media. There wasn't really even an internet when I started. And it was very easy to get into a herd mentality, not just because you're following the crowd because you're reading Dan Dorfman or Jim Kramer, for example, and I'm not putting either one of those guys down. I think, you know, Dan broke the law. So, you know, you could say what you want about that. Jim has not. But at the end of the day, you have to be an independent thinker. You have to, you know, find your coaches, get good advice, and then go out and be your own person. You have to get pushed out of the nest, right? That's the natural order of things. Yeah. Um, and then as far as third thing is it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. So your goal white belt in trading is to not get put out of business. Yep. 
Granted, you don't want to puke out your first 2K on one trade because then you're done. You don't have a grub stake. But what you're going to learn by putting that money to work for you is a lot about yourself. And knowing yourself to me is the biggest asset that you can have as a trader, in my humble opinion. So I think those are three things. You know, I, I tell you, I, I, uh, um, obviously, you, you've probably checked out the podcast a little bit, but yeah. I'm pretty proud of the fact, and I think Kim will have my back on this, that I'm not making this up. Those three things are something that I preach on probably 95% of episodes. Good for you. I always nice. talk about, you know, you know, your first thing, back to you, you mentioned the data. Your number one thing is just trying to figure out what works for you. You know, are you a futures guy? Are you a penny stock guy? Are you a long-term, short-term, long, short? And then that independent thinking stuff, I I beg people to avoid, when it comes to trading, avoid social media like the plague. Because all you're going to do is going to get confirmation bias, you know, and and you're going to read everything that agrees with you and you're going to ignore everything that disagrees with you. And then, you know, again, just, just your number one job, in my opinion, as a new trader is just don't blow up. Just do whatever you can to still be here six months, nine months or a year. Because if the longer you, that more that data, the longer you stick around, I think the higher your potential for success. But if you blow up month one, you never know what could have been, you know. Or until you get your next grub stake, you know, they say that yeah. 90% of new businesses fail within the yeah. first year. I think for yep. traders, it's probably like 90, 98%, 99, 99, 98%. So let's say you had 2000 bucks and you started on the Ides of March, <laughs> Sunday, beware the Ides, Sunday night. Yeah. And you make it to the next March 15th of 2021 and your account balance is the same. To me, that's a gigantic victory. <laughs> totally. <laughs> that's that's like going 10 rounds with Tyson and losing by decision, and you're still standing without you know, having your head kicked in till next month. So, so put things into perspective and have context. Like everyone wants to be the next Richard Dennis who went to the floor of the Board of Trade with 200 bucks and built it out into nine figures of net worth. And for a few people listening, that might happen. But – you have to have staying power. You have to know when to hold and know when to fold them, so to speak. And sitting on your hands is not a terrible thing. Diversifying, look at Dalio. Dalio lost money, but he's trading multi-markets, multi-asset classes, multi-time zones, and multiple currencies all in one portfolio. I'm certain that he's probably got one trading style that's really, really good for him, and the rest of it has been modeled out. So as a gesture of humility, it might make sense to think about, you know, if you're looking at penny stocks, perfect. Why not short penny stocks, but then look at some of the bigger large cap U.S. names and have them in a, like an intermediate type of deal. So your short term short seller in the penny stock go and take on the other side of the pump and dumps, for example, with his, which is what you advocate and I support. And then on the other side, have a little bit because now you're diversified. And even Michael Marcus, who's probably the greatest trader ever, you know, told me that. He said, I did stupid stuff with my money just to diversify, like buy annuities. Right. <laughs> Here's a guy who made, you know, eighty million dollars in a year in the seventies when that was unheard of. And that's what he was doing with his money to break it up, to just mm-hmm. have different styles, different asset classes, knowing that he was better off as a human being mm-hmm. if he had his money in various pockets, right? So because it was stretching him, because it was stretching his mind or making him be able to look at the equation from multiple sides. Like what was his, you think, reasoning? Well, you have to remember in those markets, you had to basically call the floor to get the data, right? The markets mm-hmm. were not as crowded as they are. Nowadays, you got your smartphone and I can get real-time futures quotes here, right? Back in those days, you had to be on the phone to get the data. And when markets moved fast, you could have things go limit up to limit down in a moment's notice, wow. right? And so when you have all of your money in one asset class and with that, maybe two or two, or, like it's a long-term trend follower. You're lucky if you have three positions on at the same time. I mean, that's the nature of those markets. Most markets aren't trending all of the time. So said another way, a hundred percent of the time, most markets are trading sideways or consolidating or they're just non-directional. So when you're lucky enough to find a market that's moving, 
you tend to allocate your capital to those because that's where you get your trade signals. Here's the risk. Corn, wheat, and soybeans all on the same floor. I've been in those pits. And they all move. They don't move in lockstep, but they're highly correlated. Same with gold and silver. If you look at the charts, gold, silver, maybe copper, zinc, nickel, those are forward contracts. But they don't look too dissimilar. They're clearly cousins of one another. So now your, your, your system is generating buy. You know, you know, you've got five or six positions on. And this happened in the mid 2000s when China was buying all the industrial commodities that you could get your hands on. You know, copper was going up three cents a day, nickel, tin, aluminum, gold, silver. Uh, they were buying hogs like they were going to the chair. And so you, when you're in that type of a space and everyone's looking at gold is gold. Okay, gold is gold. We're all looking at the same damn gold contract, right? Give you a better one, dollar euro spread. Or look at the Brazilian real right now. It's up to 520. It's gone parabolic. There's only one cross rate for the dollar real, right? There's no special one that Paul Tudor Jones has. We're all looking at the same thing. So what happens when those markets get crowded and everyone's on the phone and you got, who's there? Keith Campbell, John W. Henry, Bill Dunn. You probably had Continental Grain. And Commodities Corporation, going back to the early 70s. So you had only really institutional players. And when those people pick up the phone to move size, they're not doing ones and twos. They're doing, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think Michael, not to put words in his mouth, realized that as we're getting bigger and bigger and bigger in markets that are dominated by professionals, and they're all looking to buy or hedge risk in trending markets, can become terribly one-sided. And when that happens, the liquidity becomes an issue. So you say to yourself, I have to cut my position size or I have to add markets or I have to take cash and reallocate it into real estate mm -hmm. or wine collection or gold coins or do something. Because if I keep growing and growing and growing, there gets to be a point where I'm a beached whale. And I think that's what happened with yeah. Dalio. He's at 130 billion. Right. He's a beached yeah. whale. You know, he's moving $30 million pieces of business at a clip. So I, I hope, I think that answers answers the question the way you your intention was um it does it does well well michael i, I would like to kind of kind of take things home here uh thank you this was awesome man um now i'm not a big normally i'm not a big like prediction type of guy but mm -hmm. oddly enough i just i just peaked and and like the instant we went live we had another circuit breaker halt i didn't realize that like the instant mm -hmm. we went live so I, I'm not sure if you're a big prediction guy, but you've got 30 years of experience. I mean, it seems like the kind of time to maybe, you know, where do you think we're headed? You know, you know, as a, or maybe you've got more than 30 years. I can't remember, but you know, limit down again today, Dow broke 20 K. I mean, yeah. Where are we going from here? What do you, what do you think? <laughs> right, right. And so, today's March 18th, just for the record. So we yes, got that yes, square. Yes. Today we're recording March 18th, 2020. 20. Well, for shits and giggles, I'll definitely participate just for the sake of doing it. You know, if you look at the Dow cash market, you have support at like, coincidentally, at like 18, 16, and 14. I can envision going down to 14 in the cash market. I can. Um, I am, you know, hoarding cash myself. Um, uh, um, the, reasons, the reasons why I can envision that happening is from now until the end of the month, maybe even till the former tax day before they pushed it to July, there's going to be nothing but bad news hitting the tape, right? right? I don't care about government interventions. They don't work, first of all. We all know that anyone with any experience, no interventions don't work, but they're good political things to go out there. People feel safe. Oh, thank you. You're intervening in the bond market or repo market. Now you got commercial paper. I know from trading currencies, they don't work. They're all for waving the flag of your country. But what I think people will underestimate is just the severity of the of the economic downturn of it. And when we start seeing numbers about the number of cases worldwide, the number of cases in the U.S., and got, and sadly, the number of people who will eventually get really, really sick and eventually die, I think those numbers are going to surprise people. And they're not prepared for that. That's my guesstimate. Now, I'm not buying the market long, so take it with a grain of salt. Um but I do feel that there's going to be 16. We're so close, given that we've had 
2,500 point days in the Dow. Um, 18 is probably going to happen. I would say that's a three to one favorite, maybe four to one favorite. Um, 14 will be if there's further capitulation. But at that point, I think, like I said, my dead grandmother, who's, you know, part of, uh, steady trade and Tim Sykes has been, uh, you know, she'll have, <laughs> she'll open up her futures <laughs> margin account and start buying Dow and S and P futures and the bond market and crude figuring, my God, you know, we have to be, you know, it's hard with futures cause there's no value, right? There's no value in gold per se, right? Not like a stock where you can look at earnings and this and that. So it's what you're willing to pay for it. And everything is the last units priced at the margin. So you know, probably somewhere between 14 and 16 K on the Dow is, is something that I would, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw that. Uh, and I hope, again, I don't want to see people get hurt sure. and you can figure that out with position sizing. But I think, you know, uh, if they say it's darkest before dawn, we're, we're not there yet. We're not at the darkest period of time. Um, now, if we are wrapping up, and since this is a book of the month thing, again, I want to thank you for having me. Yeah, it's plug the book. Plug the book. Yeah. Talk about the book or have anyone ask me my opinion on anything, whether it's about what do I think about UCLA's baseball season getting cut short when they're 12 and one and baseball <laughs> being pushed back. But what I'd like to do is I'm going to set up a link and I'll call it martinchronicle.com forward, cla- forward slash Kim. Uh, uh-huh. uh, and what we'll do is, I'm going to give away a copy of the audiobook version of Inner Voice of Trading for whoever wants it. There's no, you, you know, you go to the page, I'll send you, you know, you opt in, I'll send you the link. And once you get it, you can unsubscribe. But for anyone who cares, who everyone's interested, uh, I own the rights to the audiobook. The publisher didn't want it, so I can give away the book at will. And so for folks who, awesome. who were inspired by our conversation and want to learn a little bit more about themselves, I think the book is a damn good book. Um, it's the book I wanted to write and I'm willing to give a copy. What is it worth? I don't know. Depending, you go to Audible and you don't, I have an Audible account, but they retail for what? 19 to 29 bucks. That's right. So, so again, whoever wants to go there, um, we'll call it again, martinchronicle.com forward slash Kim. I didn't set up the page. There it is. Here's the book. Yeah, I don't have it on my Kindle, so I had to get the cover up. So there it is. The inner, the inner voice Kindle. of trading. One of the best books around the emotional side of trading that I think is out there. Yeah. So it's completely free. It's as a gesture of, of reciprocity for you having me here. If it helps people learn more about themselves so that they can become better traders, regardless of their asset class and regardless of their time frame, you know, we're all in this together, right? And that's yeah. our fraternite, our sorority to, to learn and help one another. And I, you know, I don't have the answers. I have some of them. I certainly have the ones that are meaningful for me. But if anyone can find inspiration from myself or the guys that I work with, then I feel like we've done, we've paid it forward, right? Because we just am so damn lucky coming from where I've come from to do what I do. It's a great honor, you know, to be part of this community. And, uh, you know, I'll have you on my show. I'm going to let a couple months go by. I'll have you come, you know, we can awesome. talk more about and follow up on my prediction and uh, <laughs> you know, we'll go, we'll go from there. But yeah, um, you thank know, you again know, for having me. No. And, and thank you for the, the, for, for giving away the book. That's awesome. And you know, my thing is, I mean, I mean, I'm a lifelong reader, huge advocate of reading and audiobooks too. And you know, I don't, I mean, my thing is always, you know, 20 bucks, man. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's, I think, you know, they, somebody puts a $20 price tag on that book. But I mean, if you pick up, I mean, I highlighted, I read two or three chapters and I'm looking at my Kindle. I got like 12 highlights already. I mean, to Thank me, you. that's worth 200. And I'm like Correct. a couple pages, a couple chapters in. So yeah. don't discount the value of that is my point. I mean, I appreciate you writing the book and to the listener out there, take advantage of it. And I mean, All right. you don't get One- it. So. One more, one more quote, one more quote from the book. So persistence and determination are factors in success. Those are emotional characters, not black and white facts. And that again, too, just underscores you have to be emotionally intelligent. And I would dare say spiritually intelligent for totally. you to succeed. So it's a great, it's a great quote. 
yeah, I know the author. He's a great guy. Um, thanks great so guy. much for, thank you. <laughs> thank you again. I had the greatest time. I love talking about this stuff too, because self-awareness, you know, you learn about, right now I'm reading Edwards and McGee, fourth edition from like 1959 and Chester Keltner's book on commodities, which again goes back to the, the mid 1900s only because even though those in, on some level, the, the, some of those instruments don't even trade anymore, but you get to learn context and context gives you perspective perspectives gives you, it helps shape your approach to the markets. Right. So I'm even going back to, to reading the stuff that I read when I was a kid and it's invaluable to read and feed your brain. It gives you context. It gets you out of your own head, which sometimes is the best thing, you know, for you. Yeah. And you know, just one last question. I know we're going to wrap it up, but do you have a, I'm just always curious about the habits. Like when you start your day, uh, when there's certain things that you do to get yourself ready for trading and yeah. do you hit specific things when you say, okay, I have to come out. Okay. So, so you're asking me about my daily process. It usually starts the night before, right? So good trading on Wednesday today is Wednesday, the 18th started Tuesday night around five o'clock Pacific time, just to get an idea of the markets. I mean, the past few weeks we're looking at the same stuff, um, but preparation starts the night before. Um, it includes everything from exercise to healthy eating to, you know, I don't have any trouble with alcohol. I just don't drink because, you know, cocoa opens at five o'clock local time. And I don't know about you, but 5 a.m. comes quickly. And I can't say that I'm terribly sharp at five o'clock. So I like to have as much energy as possible just to be up. I normally call my orders in on the phone. I'm old school that way. I, I find that entering my orders on the screen I'm by myself. If I make a mistake, I own it. If I'm calling it into somebody else, which is my, yeah, I'm paying three times what you would be paying if you did it online. Wow. But the difference is I say, Hey, Gerard's Michael, I have an order. Okay. Read it back to me. I want to do this in the crude market, whatever. He said, do you notice, you know, first notice is on Friday. And I'm like, Oh, of course it's first notice. And that's a, that's a period of time where you don't want to be long because you can get delivered against. So now I got to roll it into the next month. But those, the, the price that I pay, trade after trade after trade for using a super premium service on the execution side saves me so much money in trading errors, which I would have to eat myself if I just did it like a bonehead on the screen, right? So that's just my, again, my circuit breaker to not be an idiot. And so they have the orders on the desk when the markets open. They're typically executed outcry only. The only time I would use electronic markets overnight is if I'm long something and it reversed against me, I would absolutely offset the risk and just be done with it and not try to get cute. And I'm normally trading small enough where I can do that, uh, trades, do those trades on, you know, I still call them in, but they do them, they execute them on the screen. And then during the day, I'm aware of where my stops are, but I'm not sitting there babysitting watching them because that just creates anxiety. Right. And I just figure just like in dating, rejection is God's protection. If I don't get filled, it's like, it's rejection like, is God's protection. That's yeah, awesome. it's like, if I don't get filled on my stops, cause you probably know this momentum means so much in what I do, right? Momentum is probably more important than diversification and making money on a day to day basis. Right. I need, so I put my stops in, in a place, again, you're talking at Sakota, our conversation, we're thinking about where's the mass herd of people going to go, right? So I want those people to kind of come into me and pay me an admission price for a trade that I'm already in. We're trying to anticipate where does the crowd move at certain inflection points and what's the magnitude of that move going to be without getting into, you know, having price targets. Um, because then if you could read the crowd, just like you could read a poker table, you're going to be, you know, you can let go of charts on some level. It frees you up. So, so that's where I spend a lot of the day is to think about the world. I interpret the news. I do a lot of reading. And then I say, okay, well, what if this scenario happens? What if that scenario happens? And then I run my simulator and, and, and that's basically it. But yeah, it's a full day of physical activity, amazingly clean diet and spiritual growth every day. That's, that's and then I just put my stops in and let the markets come to me. If they don't come to me, then okay, so be it. Then, you know, tomorrow's another day. At least I didn't blow up and act like a moron and and lose my money for, for either having known better or just being stupid. And I get to come back and play. Cause again, in those three rules, this is a marathon, not necessarily a sprint. Yep. Um, so cool. Thanks again. I really enjoyed speaking with you. 
you know, I, I feel like we could go like three hours, man. I would love to have you back. Um, I just, I just have some time constraints. I got to run here shortly, but, uh, but thank you very much, man. Uh, a wealth of information. And again, I'm only a few chapters in the book, but I love it. Um, to all the listeners out there, it is Martin Chronicle. Michael Martin. Michael Martin. Yeah. I'm, I'm giving sorry. a link. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Sorry, Tim. Sorry. I, I screwed yeah, I, I screwed it up once. I won't screw it up again. It's <laughs> it's Martin Chronicle with a K dot com and then forward slash Kim for the free edition of the book. Um yep. as always, if you're you know, if you if you're on iTunes and you're listening to this and you didn't get that, you can always just go to steadytrade.com. We'll link it in the show notes below. And again, thank you, Michael. Kim, you don't have to bust me, but I, I knew it was Michael. <laughs> and and thank you, Kim. Um, I, I again, Kim, I really appreciate you arranging this. And and Michael, sure. was, I mean, I I wish I didn't have to run because I wrote down like six different things. But but we got to end at some point. So thanks. Well, thanks a lot we'll pick, we'll do part two on my show if you want, and then we'll kind of you know it'll be great. We'll talk about some of the tactics that you're using in your markets and what you see. You know, I'm really interested in that because again, it gives everyone inside and context and that's really the name yeah, of the I, game so i tell i tell you if i can uh, how long have you been trading again 28 so, so oh, 30 years oh no, yeah 30 31 years teaching for 28 trading for just about 31 yeah man, man if, if i can turn a, a 30 year futures trader into a degenerate penny stocker man i could check that that'd be a life there <laughs> <laughs> So, so, so I'll get, I I'll get that, to trade in some OTC pink sheet, you know. <laughs> that's right. If there's not a Q at the end, I'm not interested. So, <laughs> the, no, it's not beneath anybody to do that. So I don't look at it and say penny stocks, this and that. I do, I look at the folks who buy the 50,000 shares of a three cent stock thinking that they're going to turn that into 40 million. Exactly. Like just go buy lottery tickets exactly. because yeah. the expected value is. It's still negative, but at least you have better odds. So selling <laughs> stuff short, um, I don't the, – the question for me, given my client base, you know, which are largely single and multifamily offices, it's not scalable, right, right. For, for what yep. I'm mm-hmm. dealing with. That's, the procur- that's what precludes the process. Yeah, so yeah, if yeah. you're starting – If you got a million dollars it. in daily volume, you can't trade that with a large account you know you can't you can't do it you'll move the whole market yeah and then well you are the market at exactly <laughs> so, so you know and if that's the case i would buy the company outright fire the management and find other any south i'd pull a gordon gecko right I mean, I, I, but um we'll have you on i'll have i'll reciprocate and have you on my show awesome. and you. uh and and we'll talk further and and we'll share some ideas and I'll uh, we'll make sure that we can go as long as we have to, to so that you can get your message out and um, explain your your ethos. All right. Well, well, awesome. well, thank thank you to both of you, and you. Uh, again, thank you to thank you all the listeners out there. Everything we talk about will you know the link to Michael's book, the link to the to the free audio book will be linked at SteadyTrade.com, and we look forward to seeing you next time. That concludes this episode of the Steady Trade Podcast. And as usual, if you have any questions, concerns, or recommendations for us, please check us out at SteadyTrade.com, where we actually post transcripts of the episode and recap blog posts of the episode. It's a great resource if you're looking to expand your trading and get a more immersive experience from the Steady Trade Podcast.